Happy Sunday, my friends. I will miss seeing your smiling faces today because of the rain this morning, but I'm so thankful that we can still share this worship time together. And um, I'll be imagining the beauty of Camp Asbury while I talk to you today. So let's be in an attitude of prayer as we begin worship with our Light of Christ reading this morning. It is Psalm 103, verses 1 to 13. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Let's pray. Gracious God, renew our minds with the power of your Holy Spirit. Cleanse our spirit with the mercy of your grace. Bring us into fellowship with one another and grant us courage to defend the lowly. Part the waters of our troubled thoughts that we might see others as you see them. Protect us with your powerful hand that we might sing of your faithfulness and dance to your glory. Amen. There's a lot going on in the world right now, a lot for us to take in and process and deal with. And we feel the distance between people and the strife of trying to bridge political and social gaps. And they've been widening for such a long time that they feel almost insurmountable to us. We feel the pain of people who've lost their livelihoods and homes to job loss and and natural disaster, and we have a sense of loss for the hundreds of thousands of families around the world who've lost their loved ones to COVID-19. We look to God and we ask, where are you in all of this, Lord? We need your guidance and comfort now more than ever. So let's pray. God of light, we have heard your message. Proclaimed bold that you, where you are, there is no dark cloud at all. Nothing exists that can hide the light of your presence. Forgive us when we cling to the shadows, failing to heed your call to wake up and join the work of your reign. Send us to do your deeds of mercy and peace, to feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, touch the sick with your healing balm, console the sorrowing, visit the prisoners, welcome the stranger. Guide us in this time of shadows and keep us from despair when we see that there is no peace in our cities and no security in our places of higher learning. Lift our eyes towards you that we may see your face shining on us and walk in your light. Comfort with your presence those who are living in the shadow of grief 
shattered by the loss of children, parents, spouses, friends, and colleagues, give assurance to all who are missing loved ones that the living and the dead are in your care, certain of being joined again in the unbroken circle that will sing your praise forever. Amen. And now let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Our message this morning is entitled, Stand Up. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. We live in a world where compassion often seems to be in short supply, and we look around us everywhere and see the fulfillment of self-interest, while fulfillment of the common good and the interests of all are ignored or, at best, overlooked. A glance from above in cities around the world makes this disparity plain. Wealthy neighborhoods can be seen backed up to high fences that shield the view of squalid slums and tenement buildings lurking on the other side. Green and lush parks and tree-lined streets are juxtaposed against asphalt jungles and garbage dumps. 
Billboards along elevated railways advertise luxury goods to commuters within the trains while the homeless huddle in doorways beneath them. We want what we feel we have earned and is our due, and woe to those who stand in the way of our rightful largesse. However, compassion is lacking not only in the equity of material distribution. Compassion is also lacking in the grace we grant one another for mistakes made and transgressions directed against us, whether these be real or imagined. In short, we harbor grudges and don't like to let them go. In our scripture lesson this week, Jesus is giving his disciples a lesson in forgiveness through the parable of the unforgiving servant. How many times should we offer forgiveness to someone who sins against us? Seven times? asks our intrepid Simon Peter. But Jesus replies, no, not seven times. That's not enough. Offer forgiveness 77 times. Now that may seem like a lot of times. But here's what Jesus is really saying. Offer forgiveness and grace as many times as it takes. He follows this response with a tale of an official who works for a king. The official needs to settle a debt with his master and cannot because the amount of money he owes is astronomical. How astronomical was the debt, you ask? Well, it is pretty big. You see... This official is not dealing with a debt to the king caused by personal overexpenditure. He's probably dealing with a debt incurred through some kind of mismanagement of his master's resources. Perhaps, for example, he had contracted to raise tax revenue from other nations subordinate to this king, as Judah once was to Assyria, for example, or as in Jesus' day, as Judea was to Rome. Perhaps there had been a drought or famine in the land and the revenue he expected was not forthcoming. In any case, the amount described in the parable is huge. A talent is the largest monetary unit at the time. It was equivalent uh, of about 20.4 kilograms of silver. A talent was equal to 6,000 drachmas, which were the wages of a manual laborer for about 50 years. Meanwhile, the number 10,000 was the largest practical number in use at the time. In Greek, the word used is myrias, from which we get the word myriad. So in effect, the amount of 10,000 talents owed was the largest amount of money that could be named. So to put this amount in perspective, in the time of King Herod the Great, the tax revenue for all of his territories was 900 talents annually. In fact, 10,000 talents was an amount that would have exceeded the tax revenue for all of Syria, Phoenicia, Judea, and Samaria combined. This amount of money we're talking about in this parable is truly phenomenal and beyond comprehension. Clearly, The official cannot possibly begin to pay off this debt to his king. And even if he was sold along with his whole family into slavery and all of his possessions were liquidated, it would be but a drop in the bucket toward paying back the value of the debt he owed. If he were thrown into prison, the punishment would be purely punitive. The king would perhaps have the satisfaction of vengeance upon this man for his particularly bad management skills, but it would do nothing toward retrieval of the king's rightful property. 
The king's official begs for mercy, promising that if he gives him more time, he will work off the debt. But it is hopeless. Both the official and especially the king know that this is a debt the man can never, ever repay, no matter how much time he might be given. In the eye-for-an-eye world of Jesus' time, one would expect the king to execute this man, or at the very least to throw him into prison and throw away the key. We then are blown away by this king's response. Instead of further punishment, the king shows mercy to his official and not only frees him, but completely forgives him the debt. Now let's put this in perspective. The total tax revenue for the United States in 2019 was $3.46 trillion. Imagine you worked for the IRS and somehow you alone misappropriated $3.5 trillion from the U.S. Treasury and the IRS just said, well, since we know you can't possibly pay this money back, we'll take pity on you and pretend it never happened. Does this sound plausible? Nope doesn't to me either. Yet that is exactly what this king has chosen to do. He has shown his wayward official the ultimate compassion and probably has spared him his life. One would think, knowing this, that this man would recognize the gift he has been given. We would expect him to have a new perspective and a new lease on life. We tell ourselves, if this were me, this were me. I would never be selfish or uncompassionate again. I would want to pay that compassion shown to me forward to my fellow human beings for the rest of my life. And I'm sure that's what the official said too, until the moment he felt wronged by one of his fellows. Apparently, maybe feeling generous after his narrow escape, the fortunate official loans 100 denarii to one of his fellow servants. And lo and behold, this fellow servant falls on some hard times. Maybe his wife gets sick or his house burns down. Whatever it is, we don't know, but he can't pay his friend back on the spot. Now is a good time, I guess, to make the comparison of these two debts. 100 denarii is a substantial amount of money for the average person in Jesus' day. If you remember when we talked about the parable of the workers in the vineyard a few weeks ago, one denarian is equal to about a day's wages for a manual laborer. In that case, 100 denarii is almost four months' wages for a laborer. However, these men that we're talking about here are not mere laborers. They're government officials, and therefore they most likely had a much higher standard of living than an average laborer. For this social group, let's imagine that this was a debt equivalent to about $3,000 in today's money. It's not chump change for sure, but it's also a realistic amount that might be paid back with some forbearance and time. Yet this man who had been given such magnanimous grace when the king forgave his astronomically impossible debt could not offer his friend the same forgiveness for a significantly smaller and by comparison trivial affront to his pocketbook. Think about it. $3.5 trillion versus $3,000. 
Instead of grace, the official assaults his fellow servant, grabbing him by the throat, pinning him up against a wall, and screaming at him to pay up or else. The other man falls to the ground, pleading with his friend to give him more time to pay. But the enraged official has him arrested and thrown into prison. Now here's the thing, folks. Nothing that we do to other people goes unobserved. We may be blind to our own hypocrisy, but other people are generally quick to call it out. We humans are really good at living in glass houses while throwing stones at our neighbors. In this neighborhood of glass, eventually a rock is going to come sailing through our own front window. And this man had been observed by his neighbors receiving extravagant and unmerited grace. Maybe some were amazed and moved by it. Maybe some were a little resentful of it. And maybe some were downright put out by it. But I imagine all of them were expecting something better than a physical assault to be the result of it. Those neighbors marched straight to the king to tell him of his forgiven official's duplicity and his treachery. And the king, in disbelief and anger, revokes his forgiveness and tortures the man until he can repay the debt. And since we've already established that the debt is unpayable, he, in effect, will be tortured for the rest of his days. As we talked about before, Matthew wants us to focus on how we might make the kingdom of God a reality in this worldly life. He wants us to imagine a world in which God's economy, rather than man's economy, rules the day. We can never merit the incredible forgiveness and grace that Jesus' sacrifice bought for us. Yet we can receive it all the same if we just believe in him and and ask for it. So how much better would our world be if we could forgive one another the way the Father forgives each one of us? Our debts to one another are small, and they pale in comparison to the debt we owe God. Yet more often than not, we are unwilling to yield to grace and loath to forgive our neighbor. If the official had paid back even a fraction of the debt that he owed his king, he and his family would have been ruined forever. The only price for the king's extraordinary act of compassion was this official's transformation. His act of compassion should have rippled outward, spreading mercy like a wave. That is how the energy of compassion moves in God's kingdom. In physics, we study wave energy. Basically, waves move energy from place to place without moving matter. Waves can even move energy where no matter exists, as through the vacuum of space. We feel the light and the heat from the sun, even though the energy travels millions of miles through space. Now, I only studied the basics of physics in school, and this seems like magic to me. Yet, we know that it is true. I get pictures on my television because of electromagnetic waves that bounce off of satellites in space. Also magic, but I know it is true. Here is a concept of waves, though, that I can understand. Have you ever been to a concert or a baseball game and the crowd in the arena or the stadium does the wave thing where people stand up and sit down starting on one side of the stadium and the motion spreads all the way from one side to the other and back like a wave? 
To make it happen, we don't have to run back and forth across the stadium. All an individual person in the crowd has to do is stand up. In the kingdom of God, forgiveness is like that. One act of grace begets another and another and another. And the energy of compassion towards us changes us to be compassionate toward others. The ripples spread out from us like a pebble dropped in a pool. And soon the ripples spread across the whole body of water. We are the conductors of the energy of mercy. If we refuse to stand up, When the wave of mercy reaches us, we impede the flow of God's goodness in the world. We prevent God's will from being done on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus' parable can teach us one thing, it is this. We don't have to move far away to spread God's grace and mercy. We don't have to travel to far off places to forgive one another. All God calls us to do is to stand up. Let us pray. Dear God of compassion, we say forgive our trespasses, but we hold on to grievances. We say thy will be done, but we fail to let God move us. Forgive us, God of mercy. Soften our hearts. Free us to respond in the generosity of your spirit. Amen. And here's the good news. God is merciful and full of compassion. God has patience. God will guide us as a loving parent teaches a beloved child. In the name of Jesus, we are forgiven. As you go on into your day, I want to leave you with these words. As you go forth from this place, plunge into the waters of the unafraid, for God goes with us. Move forward in life with purpose and passion, for Christ is our guide and guardian. Live as people, a powerful hope, for the Spirit renews us each and every day. Go with God's blessings. Amen. See you next week. Thank you.